All right, NashCast, episode two. I sat down with my good friend Nihar, who is an entrepreneur and he also works in business management. A couple disclaimers for this. We recorded this about a month back, uh, right before the coronavirus was really starting to pick up. Uh, I think we talked about there being 100 cases in, I believe, Washington at the time. God knows how many there are now, but um, it's absolutely skyrocketed within the month, and it's really interesting just hearing our, our thoughts uh, when we talk about it near the end uh, about you know what we think will happen in worst-case scenario, best-case scenario. Um, and another disclaimer is that, well, unfortunately, my recording messed up at the end, and uh, in the middle of our coronavirus conversation near the tail end of the podcast, uh, the audio actually cut out. So near the end, you're going to hear us talking about the coronavirus, 100 cases, Washington, and then boom, cuts out. Uh, unfortunately, there was no way for me to get that back, uh, but it is what it is. Uh, still talked to him for a good hour about a lot of interesting topics, um, health, business, um, a lot of different things. Super interesting guy. Love talking to him. Uh, I hope you enjoy the conversation we had. No, what's that? It's a cat. It's like a soda. Oh, yeah? You want one? I brought two. Yeah, sure. Zero calorie soda? Yeah. Fuck it, I'm in. I've never heard of zero calorie soda before. Yeah, yeah so it's, it's sweet with stevia. Is there sugar? Zero sugar. There's no, basically nothing in this. Literally no sugar. It's stevia and like whatever natural flavors means. I don't know what natural flavors means, but... What is stevia? Is that like a... It's, so it's stevia. So it's got, you know, stevia, right? The natural sweetener. Now, okay, yes, I do. Yeah, yeah that's, that's why they call it Zevia, because it's like soda flavored with Stevia. Ah, sugarless. Yeah, and they, some of them have like erythritol and stuff, but like this one's really good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I fuck with it. This Wait, is like, how'd you come across this in the first place? Probably. It takes a very specific person to go out of their way to find a soda that is sugarless and named after Stevia, or some conjugation of it. So I first came into Stevia when I was like 19. Yeah. I, uh... I was training in jiu-jitsu. I just started. I was probably like a week and a half, two weeks in. And Oh, wow. This is good, by the way. Yeah, it's not bad, right? Yeah. No, that's, this is like, this took me off of, like, I was off of sodas before this, but I always needed, I feel like I needed something, like a little, Yeah. you know, just like a little something to, to get was your palate. It, was it, do you think it was part of, do you think you needed something to taste, or do you think it's, were you craving the experience of having something in your hand and opening up a bottle? Because that's. That's the thing for some people. I think I, ex- I crave the experience of good taste. Yeah. <laughs> like, I definitely want the taste of something, yeah. yeah. And, and I knew it didn't taste like soda, but I had been off soda for so long that I was okay with it not yeah. being soda. But it was, like, good enough. Yeah. Because I've, I've shown it to my friends, and they're like, it's okay, but it's not soda. It's like, well, no shit, it's not soda. It's not, it's not supposed to replace Dr. Pepper. Mm-hmm. But it's good enough. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, it's funny. I, I was so into stevia. Um, when I was like 19, I was just trying to lose. I just started to lose like a good amount of weight before I started training jiu-jitsu and, and mixed martial arts. Um, cause I was like 200 pounds. I don't know if you ever, I saw you, I showed you a picture. I was like, I was almost 200 pounds. Yeah. And at that point I, uh, I was trying to eat healthy, but I didn't know what that meant. You know, like a mm-hmm. lot of people don't do. Okay. Total segue. Yeah. I was at HEB the other day. Yeah. And I'm just minding my own business, walking around the freezer section, and this woman—it's the—it's the first time I've ever almost went to talk to a, stor- a stranger and mm-hmm. try to correct them on something because that's like not who I am. But also, I felt so bad that they had such 
misinformation that I felt like I needed to tell them. So what was the misinformation? So I go and as I'm walking by, she goes, you know, I just, I need to eat breakfast more. She goes, I think I need to start eating breakfast more. I think I'm going to get these, um, hot pockets because I'm just trying to be more, I'm trying to be more healthy. And that hurt my soul. You know how bad it hurt my soul when somebody said that they want to be more healthy, so I'm going to eat Hot Pockets in the morning? almost lost my shit. Oh, and I wasn't even angry. I was like, I, was like, I felt sad for that person because she just didn't know, right? And, yeah, like I, I just needed something that wasn't – I needed something that could replace the feeling I used to get mm-hmm. whenever I would have like a soda or something. Like I was, I was addicted to soda whenever mm-hmm. I was younger. I mean, I remember being like five or four years old, probably four, mm-hmm. and I had a baby bottle, and there mm-hmm. was Dr. Pepper in the baby bottle. Wow. Yeah, that's like, that's like might be one of my earliest memories ever. Huh. Um, but yeah, I came across Stevia uh, probably through a podcast, or um, I watch, uh, I follow a lot of UFC fighters on mm-hmm. Instagram, so they were probably like, sp- you know, sponsor or whatever, and um, I used to put, ev- put it in everything, like my coffee, I still put it in my coffee. Um, uh, I used to try to make like sweet treats with it, which the problem with 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 stevia is it's kind of bitter, so you can't really use it for everything. But when you mix it with other things, like there's um, erythritol, which you have you heard of erythritol? No, no, it's, not. it's like that's like another uh, sweetener that's not uh, it mm-hmm. doesn't affect your blood glucose levels. Um, it's uh, it's usually not in a powder form though. It's usually in like a liquid form, like an eyedropper, and it's. Um, it's it's not as bitter, but it's very very. I don't know. I, it's it's almost like too sweet, but it's it's weird because it's not sugar and it doesn't affect your blood sugar levels. But um, it's it, it only works in some some treats. It's hard to explain, but like each one has its own distinct taste, and neither of them are sugar, and that's why people don't like them. Hmm. But when you get used to it, and you don't eat as much sugar. It's it's good. Like I I like it in my coffee, and I'll put it in um if I try to make like any sort of like fruit nut bars i'll use that like as an extra sweetener or something but yeah it's good stuff i wonder i so last year around this time maybe yeah around march of 2019 i actually went to this conference in new york it was called the wall street journal future of everything conference and that sounds fucking intense it's very insane it's when they said future of everything it was literally like the future of everything future of like future of cars future of food and beverage future of apparel future of you know technology etc all these different verticals very dystopian very very <laughs> dystopian futuristic i don't know and there was this whole it, it, they took they were in some they were in this really unique sort of space somewhere in the tribeca area beautiful beautiful venue it's like a little bit avant-garde it's not like what you'd expect from like a conference room right it's not like a a, a hall filled with like conference rooms where people sit in the whole thing was like an experience in and of itself and there was a floor that literally had future of like beverages, food and beverage. And it was this interesting experience where like I got to see, you know, people and we got to taste it, obviously. But people making, for example, like like corn tortilla tacos, not made from corn, tor- not made from corn at all, for example. Right. What was the do you know what the substitute was? I'm forgetting what the substitute was, but uh they better not have been tofu. I'd lose my <laughs> shit. If it's fucking tofu, we're gonna have soylent tortillas. I don't know. I don't know, man. I mean, I, I there was uh, one booth that was like 
I mean, so contrary to what people believe, right? There's like Beyond Meat. There's a few sort of players, Impossible Foods, that are creating like artificial meat, right? Or uh, um, meat, what's sort of alternatives? And there's actually several companies out there doing that. People are doing it with eggs. People are doing it with everything that we consume. Yeah. And there was this one booth that I went to where they said, "Hey, like, have a tiny piece of this burger, this burger, this burger, this burger, this burger. Like six different burgers, all cooked medium, uh, just the meat." taste it and they said one of them is actually real meat and uh so there i am saying oh wow this is like a fun game right like which one which which because their their whole intention there is to prove to you that like they want you to say the wrong one they want you to say this one's meat and they'll say ha gotcha it's uh this is an impossible burger or whatever right and that's a real gamble for them it is because if everybody's like well obviously this is the burger then you look like an you look like an idiot right and that happens all the time right Mm -hmm. like um, same with eggs, same with whatever. And anyways, like I, I remember, um, trying all six of them, and uh, I got it wrong. Damn. Yeah. So I could not. I really, truly could not tell which one was was a real meat burger. Now, mind you, I wasn't expecting that the real burger to be like some, you know, like special cut or whatever. Like, I don't think that that burger was like the best burger in the world or whatever. But um, it's interesting how so many people out there are really trying to rethink, reconstruct food for the first time in history. Because if you think of like, if you think of modern, if you think of, if you think that, if you think that uh, modern food consumption is really based on domestication of vegetables, animals, etc., going back to like the Mesopotamia time, right? Before that, we were just hunter hunters and gatherers. We were actually just out there, going out and like foraging. Uh, looking for food that was naturally available, right? But once we started to domesticate and understand how to domesticate animals, and once we understood the concept of seeds and farming, which happened about you know like ten thousand years ago ish, um, for the from that point until now, that's the that's that's the same way that we've been procuring, growing, regrowing food for uh, for for thousands of years. Right. And this is the first time where we're actually saying, hey, let's like maybe we can make food out of thin air or maybe we can make food out of completely different ingredients. Um, very interesting if you think about it. Right. And so uh, small side note, but I was listening to this. We t- I think we talked about this recently, but like it's funny how like innovation is this weird game of like things moving really, really, really slowly. Then all of a sudden, there's like this random event, this burst, right? Like, like a big bang, for example, and things change really quickly. And then they go back to being sort of in this like steady growth rate. That happened with the meat, with the impossible with meat. Impossible meat. I think ever since, um, I'm sure there was something that happened before that that triggered this to happen. But um, when Burger King was like, hey, fast food chain, we got, we got your impossible burger now. Everybody lost their shit. Yeah. And now everybody was doing it. Carl's Jr. has one now. I mean, they, they, everybody's starting to try to have their impossible, yeah. their, their version of whatever the impossible food is, whether it's a burger or taco, whatever. I think the, th- the challenge, man, is like, it, you know, the impossible burgers, they're still burgers, they're still calories. Like, it'd be interesting if you could make similar tasting meat without any of the harmful stuff, right? Yeah, totally. And there isn't necessarily proof that it's like, I mean, there is, you know, it's not, you're not eating meat, so you're not getting the carcinogens, you're not getting the pests, you're not getting all the stuff that goes into, you know, cultivating meat. But like, um, I seriously wonder, like, is there a way to have like a vegan, you know, impossible burger or something 
and have it be just like the perfect like nutrition like really balanced nutritionally and like a superfood in some way i don't know uh and i'm not talking about soil in here yeah yeah no for sure but i mean i think there's a way but also i think i think the problem is they they try to they try to market it like it's way better than beef but in in reality i mean you know it's it's definitely debatable on the carcinogens like you know some people say yes there are carcinogens and it causes cancer some people say no and it's kind of split down the middle but the the main thing is that like red meat has a lot of good nutrients for you and people kind of forget that it's not just like a piece of bread mm-hmm. you know what i mean i mean there's iron calcium there's a lot of good stuff in there um and, and as well as like getting your protein like i think i, I saw a chart I, I follow this this she's actually lives here in austin she's like a local um kind of like not a meat eater woman but she's like an advocate for meat mm-hmm. um and she showed a cup of uh or how much it would take of broccoli to reach the amount of protein mm-hmm. of red meat because mm-hmm. someone said that it was actually less broccoli than red meat which is ridiculous it's not that's not the case it would have to be like four cups four or five cups of broccoli for like i think a half pound of red meat and i could be totally wrong on this but something around that right, mm-hmm. right um right. but but the, the 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 point of the story is that the the problem is even though it's it's the the right amount of protein even if it was the same right let's say it was the same like it was a pound of beef and a pound of, of broccoli were the same so it's like might as well eat the broccoli right but the problem is that protein isn't as bioavailable to your body as it would be in red meat because your body's absorbing the red meat eat much easier and with the broccoli most of that or a lot of that from from what i've sort of read it doesn't even get absorbed into your body mm-hmm. a lot of it just kind of goes out yeah so that's that's tough it's tough it would be tough to try to find an alternative um that's not you know that doesn't have animals that also has the right amount of protein or right amount of protein but also right amount of nutrients mm-hmm. for uh, that are good for us mm-hmm. so do we just trust that we can put lab made vitamins and minerals in there i mean we already we already consume lab made vitamins and minerals so why not um it's funny because I, I i i've been thinking about this a lot lately is um when when are we gonna have food that is delicious as good as a cheeseburger macaroni and cheese and everything and it tastes just like the good stuff right but it's all good for you hmm. we just make it to where it's good for you like this this is close this is close how much better can we do in 10 years? Hmm. I, when I was in college, I took a class called Food Culture Society. And it was, honestly, it was just a class to fill in some, some requirement, you know. And, you know, you read, read online that the teacher was pretty, you know, chill and the class was easy, whatever. Um, ended up being one of the most profound classes I've ever taken in college. Um and the the book really cha- or the class sorry really challenges students and myself to think about food as more than just something that is like delicious to eat because if you think about sharing if you think about the whole con- I mean every single person on the planet has to eat by def- like you have to eat and every single person eats or at least they should try to at least once a day and more often than not, they're doing it with other people. And on top of that, if you're in a great, if you're in a country like the United States, 
you can eat food that comes from all over the world, right? To, in its perfect, most perfect form. And so food is this interesting thing where it's like, it's not just eating food. It's not just consuming something that keeps you alive, right? It's an experience. It's, 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 it's food for the soul, right? If you're having a great conversation over a meal with somebody, it's the place where sometimes people go on first dates, right? With new lovers or meetings with a new colleague or, you know, the food, the meal itself could be this whole experience. Like when I was in Japan, not that long ago, I had a, I had dinner, I had a sushi dinner in virtual reality. Fuck right? off. Yeah. Fuck off. Yeah. No, you didn't. Absolutely. What? Tell yeah. me everything. So, okay. It was, oh this, my God. It was, it, you know, we sat around this table basically and the room itself was like, imagine a circular table, like a big round table. Like this one? Like this one. Yeah. Okay. Just like this one. And the walls are also shaped in a circle and the walls are just screens. Right. And, um, and then the table is also a screen. Fuck off. Right. And then, then there was actually a point where we actually had to put on um, this headset. But, like, it was this really interesting concept, very Japanese, of course. It's called Scenes of Life Through Food. And so the, the whole concept of, concept of the meal was to take you from birth to death through, like, an eight-course meal. <laughs> Scenes of Life. How existential. It was amazing. <laughs> like, dude, I'm not even joking. Like, the, the first meal that they gave us was, you know, birth. And so the meal that they gave us was this, was this plate where they had, like, edible dirt, which is more like, yeah, it was, like, edible dirt, but it wasn't really dirt. It was, like, something else. I'm forgetting what it was. And they was gave it us, sweet or savory? It was savory. Okay. Um, and, gosh, my mouth's, like, watering just thinking about this right now. And, <laughs> Mine is, too, and I haven't even had it. <laughs> <laughs> and so they had, like, this, this dirt, basically, this edible dirt, and they gave us some grains. Of, they gave us some wheat grains, and step one was to... Uh, sort of crack open the grains and then plant it in the where they gave us a mini rake cutest like mini rake it was like a toy rake and we had to rake the wheat into the dirt and then that was the meal that was meal number one right and so it was sort of like this from from birth to death um we experienced like life through a meal right and that's the power of like food right is it's it's they cut so many different intersections and whatever but sorry let me let me go back for a moment but the what the the our teacher um made us read this book called crescent and it's it's a fictional book it's about this woman that lives in westwood near uh the, the university of california los angeles right in the westwood area it's a beautiful beautiful area it's got college town vibes obviously and this woman is uh she's arabic and she runs this Arabic restaurant in uh, the Westwood area. And as I was saying, it's Westwood's, you know, where the university is. So there's lots of people coming in and out. And so the book sort of travels this, this woman's um, sort of day-to-day affairs in running this restaurant. And um, her restaurant is sort of like this, this like second home for all these like lost Middle Easterners that are going to school at UCLA. Um, you know, like... There's, it's the, for, for people, um, they call them like lost souls or like missing persons, whatever. Um, a lot of people get homesick, right? A lot of international people, they get homesick. And so especially at university where we find a significant portion of international people. And so the book sort of follows like her restaurant and how she becomes this woman that isn't just making this great Arabic food, but becomes like a mother or like, like a home person, someone from home to all these Arabic people. 
And uh, one day, this like except this, yeah, by the book, this exceptionally charming young professor who's also Arabic comes by, and um, the story follows like their narratives together and like cooking in the restaurant together and falling in love, and she, the 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 restaurant owner, um, she like reconnects with her lost roots because she was not actually born in the Middle East. Her parents are, and yet she runs this Middle East like restaurant. Um, and it's like through this like romantic novel and through sharing food that she like rekindles this like part of her identity that she never really knew she had. Um, and it's, it's just like very interesting how food can do that. You know, like I'm Indian, right? And, um, you know, one thing about Indian people is that like if they're, if your parents are from India, which mine are from India, um, the concept of eating out is not really a thing, right? It's, it's, it wasn't really a thing back then. And still isn't really right now everyone cooks at home i remember you tell, talking to me about that the other day and, and and how even if you go out to eat it's like at somebody's house and it's yes. more like, like an outdoor yes. potluck type thing yes, right exactly yeah. and that's what they do all the time like their social events in india are just constantly going to potlucks and people's houses and stuff like that and it's very interesting um i've obviously you know have never lived in india or anything like that sort of a as i say a whitewashed indian or a fraudulent indian as i say as some people have told me, I think I'm that's authentic. fucked up. Whoever said that to you is a piece of shit. Yeah, a I know. Fraudulent like, Indian. What an asshole. You know, I mean, I you know, going when I think about this book, I, I sometimes feel like that woman. Sometimes where it's like, I am an Indian American um, that you know grew up in San Diego and grew up sort of in this cultured household, and then sort of totally reinvented myself in college, and and now I'm in this place where. Um, the language I speak is just like good literature, good conversation, good whatever. I'm sort of, I feel like I've become more of a student of, of the world and of people than having my own identity. I think for me personally, like I definitely had like an identity crisis maybe once or twice in the past, not really knowing who I was. And I think everyone probably goes through that as they're through their formative years. Right. But you know, for me, like I said, it's funny now cause people will say like, Oh, you're not really that Indian. Right. Or like when I meet people, They'll say, "Oh, you're basically American." I was just in France. Well, it's like you. Who the fuck says? I mean, yeah, you're you're obviously American. I mean, you're American, but you're you're an American citizen, but you're right. also Indian, like that. Right. People people want to put these like weird strict labels on people. Right. And say, "Oh, well, you're you weren't born there, so you're not really this. Really you're not this. really that." Like, fuck, fuck. Yeah. And they don't, they probably don't even know you that well either. No. But who really is anybody in the first place? And I don't mean to say that in like this like pessimistic like way but like you took the acid i gave you didn't you? yeah you did (laughs) it's starting to kick in right now zevia is really yeah it's it's really i know what this drink really is now (laughs) (laughs) but you know like i was telling you you know when i was in uh, i think it's actually well first of all i actually think it's a great privilege to feel like and to feel like you've have multiple identities no for sure right actually actually it took, i think it took me a while to realize that but like me too right yeah yeah i mean for someone who grew I know, up we did talk about yeah this, we did like talk about that, this yeah because uh, i grew up um you know i grew up in this podunk white town and i just felt like I, I didn't fit in with anybody and i was chastised and picked on and and i really hated my own culture like the the southern culture you know i mean like, i purposely got rid of my accent just just because I wanted to disconnect with as much of that as possible. Like I can't I can't listen to country without like just feeling weird emotions of hatred, but I also just hate the music. 
I it's it's I disconnected as much as possible. But just like you were saying, as I'm getting older, I'm starting to realize that it's not a bad thing. I'm I'm if anything, it's a good thing to where we're not I'm not sectioned to one particular area. Even though it is fun to have like that tribalism, right? Like you know, like people for that are from Boston. They seem like they love that they're from Boston and they're so proud. And I wish I had something that would that was pr- to be proud about of like, oh, I came from you know this block of this street in in Boston and we had such a great time here and we got in trouble here and da da da. And I don't have that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, my my closest thing to that is me playing with my cousins, you know, in the hay bales. You know what I mean? Like, and that that was a great memory and I I'll hold mm-hmm. on to that forever. But it was just that there's a different type of of, of real camaraderie to places like Boston or new, you know, parts of New York where they're proud to be from that. And I don't have that, but I, I feel like I'm more, like you said, um, I feel like I'm more connected to everybody as a whole more than just one location. And I feel like it makes me way more open-minded and if hmm. I feel like it makes me feel more connected with just the entire world. Do you, do you think that like, I mean, this is a leading question probably, but do you think that like, change and transformation is good and that like people go through that naturally or hopefully they'd go through it a few times in their life do you feel like that's you know in what facet um say your view you know see that let's say let's say a few things let's say one is you change your point of view on certain topics or issues right like throughout your career or yeah you, your you, life. Should. <laughs> you should people should i mean yeah and so why is it that like it's interesting because i was reading this article the other day talking about how you know, American diplomacy, politics, etc., like really rewards people that are consistent, yet transformation is actually what's most needed in society, right? Like that's that's the great that's the funny thing is we chastise like politicians or people that change their point of view on things, like, you know, at five every five years or ten years or whatever. Yet when you're in Europe, that's a very common thing. Politicians are very open about changing their point of view on something. They say, Well, I've learned something new and this happened and life is dynamic and society is dynamic and so you iterate you update and yet we um uh and yet we venerate the people you know our our leaders for not being consistent right yet i believe that like i think i think actually i think i think the most successful people i know out there are even better they actually they actively seek transformation right they actively say hey i believe that like for example i believe that like meat should be part of everyone's diet for whatever and then they learn something new and say maybe actually we don't we may not need to eat meat maybe we can be vegetarian and get the same protein just by quadrupling our broccoli intake as you're saying or whatever right like i think i think people that are able intentionally trans, transform themselves are going to be way more successful in life and are, are going to be are going to be way better leaders than people that are consistent why do you, why is it that like we chastise the people that are what you know what the media calls inconsistent yeah but it could go both ways right because I mean, it's just a question i have no idea what the no, answer is for sure no and it's a great thought and and i think the main problem with that as long as the change as long as the transformation is organic because sometimes transformation is forced um like, oh, like I see what well, you're well politicians do it all the time um you know, because who was it? Was it fucking Bloomberg or who was it that that like went up and started telling everybody his pronouns? Shit, man, I don't know. I don't know who it was. I'm not too deep into politics, but I know it was one of these guys came up and he's like, you know, hi, I'm so and so. My pronouns are him, him, he. 
it's like we know you're a come on you're mm-hmm. trying you're trying to push yourself to try to you're trying to to force this transformation of being ultimately pc just to sway other voters and it's obviously forced it's obviously forced so i don't think the change is good unless it's an organic change or at least mm-hmm. at least change with an open mind not a forced change because nobody likes to be forced into change and if even if you force yourself into change it generally doesn't come off very organic and genuine yeah it's not intentional right it's, like it's inauthentic yeah yeah that's the problem right is um or people who do mean well but they mm-hmm. they go a little too far right mm-hmm. um you know uh people who there was like that documentary that came out called the game changer yeah yeah and i think everybody in that documentary meant well but people proved that there were like some pretty f- false statements in that i don't think they i think they meant to do it but i don't think they meant any ill will and they and it's it's they're they're trying to force that transformation and it becomes unorganic and it, there's there's always that that point of going too far where you're falsifying information to try to further your cause does that make sense it does i i think the irony is that you have to be provocative if you want to um start a conversation that's that's the great irony i think i think of in a the documentary, world or in media no in, i think anywhere i think okay. i think i think it's better to be provocative and different and have a strong point of view that maybe half the people out there will disagree with you on than to say what is the politically correct right answer or the the answer that's most likely going to get the most number of people to say yeah that makes sense that makes sense i, I believe in that because if you're if you're saying something that everyone's like oh yeah i get that i believe in that you're not actually getting people to think about anything differently yeah i'm and forget about just game change i'm talking about everything yeah you know i think i think that like oh, gosh i mean i hate going to meetings where people just say what everyone else has already said aren't really pushing the boundaries aren't really getting creative and crazy like it it just feels like they're not adding anything valuable to the conversation yeah and so maybe the idea with game changers was like hey like we can we can tell you we can be very factual right um or we're going to take this point of view that might even seem skewed because at least at least maybe this guy named tyler could interview interview this guy on this podcast and they might actually talk about it right and more people may actually listen to it right actually so I mean, part small side note on that whole thing. That thing was funded by several people that have active sort of uh, interests in, um, you know, vegan or vegetarian-based companies. Yeah, like companies. stocks. Like they yeah. have like like yeah, yeah, actual yeah. like actual. full ownership of companies. Yeah, yeah. But, but I don't it think it makes that... sense. It makes sense though, right? Because it's like obviously, if you have a company in that and that's something you're passionate in, of course, that's what you'll want to make a documentary about. Right. So it's hard to like, it's hard to say that that's a bias documentary you know because like obviously i think every documentary is a biased documentary because it's on based on someone else's point of view point of view so it's hard to not be biased so i mean then that's a fundamental question of like what is the truth right Mm. there's no truth there's always as they say right there's three sides to the story there's your story there's my story and there's what the other person thinks yeah right yeah very interesting yeah it's perception everybody's perception is different yeah always wonder about that like yeah this is really dumb it's really it's a real like stoner thought but like I wonder if we see, like, I'm looking at your microphone. I wonder if you see the microphone the same way I see it. Obviously not right now because we see it at different angles, but when you, when you look at it, I wonder, I mean, obviously each thing might trigger a different response in your brain, right? 
Like when I look at the little vents on the front, I just see like it reminds me of like a car vent. It makes me think of like nice cars. You know what I mean? So I, maybe yeah. we don't physically see it differently, but we we kind of like you emotionally you, you, you look, feel yeah. it you you experience it differently. Because everything you look at, I feel like you would you attribute it or you can, can compare it or it makes you think about something else because our mind's always kind of mm-hmm. going, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's that's something that always interests me, but random random segue. Um, oh, back to the health thing, though, because yeah. I wanted to talk to you about, um, you know, Morgan Spurlock, right? Yeah. Um, you know, the um, 30 Days uh-huh. documentary, yeah, McDonald's, yeah. fucking great show. We yeah. all saw it in health class, yeah. you know? Um, he just came out with a new documentary. It's a it's free right now on YouTube. That's where mm-hmm. I watched it. Um, it's called uh, Super Size Me. That's what not thirty days. It was Super Size Me mm-hmm. with the documentary. So the new one, so Super Size Me Two, holy chicken, holy chicken, holy chicken, like holy cow, but chicken. And I, <laughs> I was like, what is this? Uh, you know, because I loved I love Super Size Me, but I was really afraid that Morgan Sproke was gonna like release his documentary is going to be kind of weird and i wasn't sure like where his stance was on anything because he was a vegan right in in the in the first documentary mm-hmm. so this documentary starts out with him talking about how he's going to open a fast food restaurant i'm like what the fuck what the fuck is this and it's kind of like a, it's kind of cryptic at the beginning you're not really sure like why he's doing it but then you see like they start playing news um, news clips of him being talked about. It's like, oh, Morgan Spurlock opening a fast food chain. Huh. Um, you know, is this is this just an entrepreneurial move or an elaborate hoax for a new documentary? <laughs> and uh, it's not that easy to start a fast food restaurant. Plot twist: it was the latter. But the, the what happened is he starts just going through the through the motions of making a fast food company. And at first I'm like, is he serious or is he like trying to get to a point here? Because I just didn't get it yet. But as you start to go through the documentary, he's doing these things like certifying his chick or he's buying chickens. And then in when he buys the chickens, he goes, oh, yeah, well, turns out the market of chickens is monopolized. There's like five guys, five companies that own all like almost all the chickens, like the live chickens, not like the food chicken. Like obviously mm-hmm. they're all food, but like like the livestock. There's like five companies that own all of them, and he f- had like the hardest time just buying chickens for his farm. Hmm. Because what happens is what they do is they lease out the chickens to farmers, mm-hmm. and they kind of keep them under this cloak of control. And they're basically paying these farmers, and they're like, hey, you know, you you make the facility, we give you the chickens, we give you the feed, you raise them, mm-hmm. we pick them up, yeah, easy peasy, right? But what they do is they set up a tournament system, mm-hmm. and the tournament system works with whoever gets the highest yield of chickens mm-hmm. gets paid more. Mm-hmm. So everybody's kind of fighting for that. But the problem is it's not fair because sometimes like they're not always on an even playing field because sometimes Tyson or any other company – I think it was Tyson for the, this particular case, but they would send them uh, different people different food. Sometimes they give these guys the really not nice food. Sometimes they get the really bad food, and then their chickens would be not great. And mm. what happens is, in this documentary, he's talking to this farmer, and they find out about it. And there's like a national committee for chicken. Yeah. And so, like the main head of that guy of that of that group, 
shot an email saying, hey, like the, the documentary maker Morgan Spurlock is doing this and he's trying to, he's doing some sketchy stuff. So they like sent out a mass email, like don't talk to him. Let us know if you find him and let it like tell us where he is. Like some weird, creepy, like stalker shit. I feel like, I feel like that happens with like virtually everyone that's trying to uncover the truth behind our, how our food is made. I feel yeah. like that's always the case. Yeah. And uh, what happened is that particular farmer he showed them he showed them his list for the next yield of, of crop that he had or crop you know the, the livestock and he actually had the highest the highest yield and weight but he was the lowest at the bottom of the tournament system kind of fucked up dude they were they're fucking him because they know that he's talking to Morgan Spurlock it's this weird like control thing and they said what they would do is to try to they, they would keep them just enough in debt to where they can't like go off on their own but make them just enough money where they have to stay or where mm-hmm. they where they want to stay but mm-hmm. like they, you know it's like this weird middle ground and um it's it's fucking cruel i can't explain like i can't explain exactly the process because the documentary goes through it and i just can't remember it all but I, you definitely need to watch it because mm-hmm. it's it's crazy whenever you see whenever you see like how that works and also the process of the the, the psychology behind fast food of you know McDonald's putting a lot of like organic looking materials in their stores to make it make everything look healthy. Um, they have this thing called a, a health halo. Mm-hmm. So they have a cheeseburger, but then on each side of the cheeseburger they'll have like a salad and then like something else like fruit. Mm-hmm. So they they create this health halo around the fast food like the the, the burger mm-hmm. to make it seem healthier than it is. And then they use these certain terms like artesian, mm-hmm. right? Or artisan. Artisan mm-hmm. is different. Artisan is artesian is like water, I think. But artisan, and um, artisan where it's like handcrafted, handmade. Um, but then you look at it, it's just a shitty chicken sandwich. It's not, still fast food. Um, and then they'll do like, um, and you probably know about this a lot with just working in business. Is like they'll have a like on the wall, right? Mm-hmm. Just like a blank wall, and they'll have uh, text. And they'll have it's like hip, right? It's like our our message, like uh-huh. our mission, mission statement, statement is like, you know, health and you know, keyword here, keyword there, you know. Yeah. And um, they always have it like brown and green, because those are healthy colors. Those are those are nice colors. You associate that with health. Um, fake plants in the stores. Um, they they talked about Panera. Panera mm-hmm. is like that. If you walk into a Panera, you're like, damn, this place looks healthy. But mm-hmm. then you look at what they're selling. It's fucking bread and cookies and chips. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he goes he goes about to, you know, kind of explaining how that works. But then the real fucked up part is getting his certifications for the chickens. And he talks about the, you know, how, oh, this this is hormone-free, antibiotic-free. And then you do the, he does the research and it turns out, well, yeah, all the chicken is. Like, by law, you cannot have hormones in your chicken. Hmm. It's like a marketing ploy. As if hormone they, free. Yeah, hormone free. As if they don't have like as if other people have hormones, but these guys don't. Mm-hmm. It's kind of fucked. And then you know, certified cage free, cruelty free. Um, you know what he did? He has a barn, right? Mm-hmm. No windows in the barn. You know what he did to get his fucking chicken certified cage free? He opened the barn door. He got the, um, I mean, I guess it's chicken wire, but I got some kind of wire and then made like a eight foot perimeter fence right outside the door. And that had to be available for, I think, 
60% of the day. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Literally five chickens could fit in it. Hmm. And that's it. But he did that, and he got certified cage-free. Mm-hmm. Uh, or cruelty-free, free range. All of it. I didn't realize it was going to be that easy. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought he would actually have to go through some significant hoops to have that happen. I don't even think they came to check. I think they just mm-hmm. called and she asked him if you have this and this. He goes, yeah. I was like, all right, we'll send it over. It was fucked. So that really that really messed with me because, you know, I'm, I'm a meat eater. And I um, I definitely don't like the factory farming situation. Um, I definitely want to get out of that if possible. Um I want to go hunting. I want, I want to be able to hunt to get my food to have that. Mm-hmm. It's just I'm not, a, I'm not a big hunter, but I eventually want to do that so that way I don't play a part in it anymore. Because <clears throat> I'm not I'm not going vegetarian. That's not just not happening. I bet you're gonna eat a lot less meat. You think so? Absolutely. If you if you had to if you had to hunt for your food, trust me, you're eating a lot less meat for two reasons. One is because uh, a it's not that easy to go hunting and like finding animals to go eat and all of that it's one thing the second thing is the act and process of killing something else like you know how removed americans are from that whole idea like i know we're in texas and you know people here have guns and you know quite a few people do like going hunting not as much as you know maybe people would assume right i feel like i feel like people look at texas or southern states and say oh yeah everyone goes hunting no not, not really obviously but um if you actually had to go kill think about it think about all the people you know in your life right friends family girlfriends boyfriends i don't know whatever like think about all the people in your life how many of those people do you think are actually capable of killing something of the people that eat meat right i think it depends on the circumstances right i mean obviously like in today's age with with the convenience that we have if it were to if if it was if we right now were like okay you can either hunt for your food or no more meat or hunt for your meat or no more meat yeah um yeah, I think I think a significant amount of people would definitely go vegetarian. Yeah, um, I think the tables will turn. I think the vast majority of people would be vegetarian. Mm-hmm. And of the people that do, still will still hunt for their meat, I think they would consume a lot less. We yeah. consume a tremendously high amount of meat. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I would consume equally as much just because I because I'd have it. I mean, you know what I mean. Like, and you only have to go hunting like twice a year. Like, you know, I'm I live I have a roommate. Mm-hmm. But that's it. I'm, I don't have a family or anything. Like I could kill like one or two deer and have probably over 150, 200 pounds of meat. I mean, I don't even if I ate what a, like a pound of meat every two days. I mean, that's almost a year's worth of meat. You got to store that in the right way and all that. But right, you got to have like a deep freezer and stuff. And it's like obviously you don't just do the process yourself. You would like kill it and then because that, that's different, right? Like yeah. it, if if I could I could kill a deer. I could shoot it and then do the proper cutting to get the pieces of meat and then send it off to get processed. But then the question is, if we go even further and say, well, you have to process your own meat too, right? If you have to do everything yourself, that becomes a more daunting task because now we're going back to where hunting and accumulating this food is taking up a good amount of our time of existence. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's where it becomes a problem because we can't just go back to that. We got shit to do. Yeah. Back in the day when it was only survival, I mean, yeah, that made sense. That was all we had time for. But now we have like jobs and responsibilities. Mm-hmm. We don't. We don't have time to do all that shit. It's not gonna happen. Yeah. I mean, it's it's it would be easier with something like a deer or um, any larger animal because right. you do it once, right? And then you're set for like six right. months, right? So that wouldn't be too bad. But um, you know, it does. 
it, it does change things if you start to have to add more steps of the process and do it only with you, you know? Yeah. Then you got to learn how to do it if you don't know how. This is a whole thing to it. I mean, it's more like a thought exercise, right? No, like for sure. If, for if, sure. If you We're not like... To, um, like if you had to, I, I mean, I would just bet that a lot of people wouldn't be eating meat. I think, I mean, that's yeah. one of the great, I agree. that's one of the, that's one of the great sort of, you know, miracles of industrialization, right? Is that this can happen on a comparative trade, right? That someone else can be highly specialized in, you know, uh, domesticating animals and, and making that sort of their life business. And through comparative, through comparative advantages, trade, um, that, that can actually benefit a lot of other people and free up their time in order to do something else. That's the whole idea between guns, germs, and steel. Do you remember that book? Or remember Say it again. Guns, germs, and steel. No, I've never heard of it. Um, it's no one actually like reads it in school, but it's like one of those books that people talk about in the history. It's like it's like it's like the jungle or what's Upton Sinclair, the jungle. Is that, is that what it's called? You're, um, you're asking the wrong dude. I didn't read a lot in <laughs> high school. <laughs> Let's let's say that okay. So there's there's two books. You know how in like when you study history, like sometimes they refer to books that like change time. Like yeah, like um, Montesquieu's book on like or Enlightenment books, for example. You don't actually read those books, right? right. But you know about them. Um, and so Guns, Germs, and Steel is this book that sort of talks about how like one nation was able to conquer another, and this specifically is talking about the Spaniards sort of going into the Americas and uh, being able to, if you think about it, like, you know, 400 years ago, Aztecs and the Mayans, Aztecs specifically, uh, or was it the Mayans? I'm forgetting my history right now. But there was a great civilization in, you know, middle Americas, right? And they just vanished overnight. And it's because of the conquistadors. And so they brought with them what you call guns, germs, and steel. Oh. Yeah. And that's, that's just like a really lofty way. But if you distill what that means, it's like technology, um, you know, uh, technology, weapons, and disease. And um, the interesting thing is like the, the big argument of the book is that a lot of those other societies in the Americas were agrarian, meaning they still spent the vast majority of their time um, like living to like hunt for food. Right. Right. And so... If 80% of your day is spent trying to find, um, you know, hunt, find, grow, whatever food, then you're not going to have enough time in your day to think about, like, enlightenment or, you know, economics or theorize all these other things that make modern life, you know, possible today. And because places in Europe were able to figure out how to industrialize and um, you know, mass industrialized things faster, that gave them this mind advantage, so to speak, or this like, yeah, you can call it that. Let's say this, they have more headspace, they have this headspace advantage where people can actually think about all this other stuff, right? Yeah, like the root, like he was able to go into, yeah. the, he was able to go to his cabin and, and write and... Exactly. And, and Theorize and whatever. Yeah. You know, if Newton was spending his whole day thinking about where to get an apple to go eat, you know, he would have never come up with you know all these great theories that we have yeah well it's like it's like a einstein Newton's law yeah well you know einstein was if i'm not mistaken he was uh, like a theoretical physicist like mm -hmm. he literally sat in a room for hours and just thought yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean he just thought maybe if they like it, he just went on this this crazy exploration in his head and i'm sure like he read text and stuff too but still i mean a lot mm -hmm. of it a lot of it is just contemplation i'm sure 
which could probably drive a person mad, especially in those days. I mean, well, he was kind of mad. Yeah. <laughs> I think you have to be mad if you want to change the world, like, yeah. fundamentally. Yeah. Well, Elon Elon Musk is a little mad, but, like, he's, yeah. he seems like you a healthy... You have to be He's yeah. like a healthy mad, though. Like, maybe yeah. maybe he's more fucked up than we know, but, like... We'll never really like, know. Right. He seems like he holds it together, at least. Yeah. You know what I mean? But, of course, we might see him, you know, hang himself in his fucking shower next month. We don't know. Who knows? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, he could, he could be having a lot of demons inside that we don't know about. We have no idea. Yeah. But I think he's too driven for that, though. Like, he really wants us to be like an interplanetary species and he like he wants too much like he wants too much for the world but that, mm-hmm. that that's what we need to is like he i don't think he gives a goddamn about him mm-hmm. like he really just wants to do this for humankind mm-hmm. that's like i don't know that's like the ultimate sacrifice is de- him dedicating his entire life for the human race yeah that's that's pretty fucking noble yeah let's uh i want to go here i want to go there all right well We're, can we take a pause for a second? Yeah. Use the restroom. Yeah, do your thing. Yeah, you're good. I want to talk about coronavirus when you get back. Okay. And South by Southwest. Oh, shoot. Man, the myth, the legend, he's back. How was the wizard? Uh, Everything come out okay? All these bathrooms smell like shit. Do they? <laughs> <laughs> I think homeless people are coming in here. Just like, yeah, probably. It's so bad, dude. Well, yeah, because like we're we're basically in their backyard. Or I guess they're in ours now, but um, you know, the little creek area over there. That's where they like to hang out. But I want to get I want to get into it. I want to get into coronavirus. All right. Cause South by Southwest was fucking canceled. Yeah. Did you expect that? No. That's one of the biggest, not not only just events in general, but like that's a really big business marketing relationship building type of event, right? Mm-hmm. From someone who your entire job is basically that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, what what was your what were your thoughts whenever that that news came out? I mean, that was only like two days ago. So I think it was sort of for me, at least the way I experienced, you know, the coronavirus impacting. Um, this conference, I think the story for me really started about like a month ago when I was in Europe and this is before all the sort of like, you know, restrictions and cautionary best practices that airports and airlines were doing. This is like right before that just started kicking off. Um, but it happened to kick off on one of the days that I was leaving, uh, from London back, you know, back to Austin, Texas. And, um, I literally had to spend spend an extra day in London because they didn't have their shit together with security and took an extra long time to, to make sure that everyone on the plane and stuff wasn't coming from Wuhan or whatever, um, China rather. And uh, that was just a month ago, right? Now, since that time, since I've gotten back, let's see what's happened. Um, a number of conferences around the world have been canceled and rescheduled. Facebook's big conference was canceled. Uh, Reschedule. I don't even think they have a new date. I think it's just like canceled. Indefinitely, yeah. Indefinitely, and um, and at the time when I got back here, also there weren't any cases in the U.S. yet. But there, I, then a week later, I started seeing the headlines saying, "Oh yeah, America is going to start preparing for this, you know, out this virus because it's 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 in Europe, it's obviously in Asia, it's going to get to the Americas really soon," and. You know, the CDC and all these other organizations were saying, hey, like, we don't worry about it that much. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, it's a big deal, obviously, but, like, we 
are prepped for this and will continue to get better at prepping for this. And so uh, then I got back and kind of sort of totally forgot about it. And um, what's interesting, though, is that, like, you know, I'm going to San Francisco tomorrow. Yeah. And the first few cases of the virus that started appearing have been in, um, you know, the uh, the West Coast mm-hmm. and the East Coast, right? And I think the interesting thing is that, um, do you know, the, do you know how the do you know sort of the value of like compounding interest? Um, no. Human beings are very hard at uh, find it very difficult to understand compounding uh, value or compounding interest. And compounding interest simply means that every month or quarter or whatever, if you keep repeating um, a process or something then your return is not linear. Your return ends up being like this power law, right? Exponential. That's how this virus could work too, right? Every additional person that gets this, it's not like a linear, another person, another person. If it's that within the right network, it actually it actually could be an outbreak. It's like a web. Yeah. I mean, technically, it's, it's, it's not classified as a pandemic, but technically, according to the definition of a pandemic, yeah. it's a pandemic. Yeah. Nationwide spread. Yeah. Or, or worldwide spread. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, I wanted to pull out the map for you because I wanted right. to show you because um, I looked at this the other day and, um, you know, Starbucks stopped mm-hmm. uh, letting you bring in your own cups hmm. to fill in. We just did that last week. Yeah, yeah we yeah. just did that. Well, and the thing is, like, other coffee shops will still do it, but Starbucks said, no, we're not mm-hmm. going to do it anymore. And I was pissed because I was like, there aren't even any confirmed cases in Texas yet. Because when I looked at this map prior, um, there was not – there was nothing on Texas. There was nothing on Oklahoma, which there is now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was basically the rest was basically the same. There are a couple states on the on the east, on the east that mm-hmm. uh, that have, have kind of bled through now. But um, but but according, it, I was really conflicted because all of the media and like my mom was like arguing with me about him. She's like, there are cases in Texas. There mm-hmm. are there are, and I was like, but it's hard for me. Like I. I want to trust the CDC website, mm-hmm. right? The official government CDC website over like CNN and Fox. Cause mm-hmm. I, you know, it's news. It's, 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 it's media. It's hard to say if that's accurate. Sure. This should be like, and tell me if I'm wrong, but like, this should be like your main source for information in regards to something like this. But it's scary. Cause if that was the case and there were outbreaks in Texas and it didn't show on the CDC website, that's a bit of a, I don't know. It's, it seems like a it, it seems like a neglectful thing to not have it immediately updated. Well, I think the role of the media is to what they're trying to do is no one's trying to create fear for fear's sake, right? Yeah, nobody's doing it on purpose. No one's trying to do it on purpose. But I think that look, an institution like the CDC has to tell you what is happening today in this point in time, kind of like a balance sheet, it has to tell give you a snapshot of what is happening today. Mm. Now, anyone else can take that information and say and do the math and say, hey, like if there's 51 to 100 cases, that's what it looks like in the state of Washington, that's enough people to possibly start an outbreak. And that's it. That's the end of the podcast. I really wanted to try to get the rest of the talk back, but there was just no way. Uh, You know, we start talking about, you know, what a dystopian world would be like if, you know, the coronavirus gets worse and we're forced to stay at home and everything have to be delivered. And it's kind of weird because we're now at a very scaled down version of that where, you know, we have to all work from home if at all possible. Everything is, you know, scaled down to delivery and takeout. It's, it's really weird. I'm hoping eventually we can get back to 
you know, business as usual and not have to worry about leaving our homes. But, uh, you know, I want to thank everybody for watching this. This has been a, a passion project of mine for a long time, getting this podcast going. And, you know, I feel like now I'm starting to be able to consistently put out episodes. And, uh, you know, if, you, if you're this far and you're listening to this and you've listened all the way through the podcast, I just want to really thank you seriously. It's It, it means the world to me. And hopefully you, you had a good time listening and maybe you learned something. But uh, with that, I'll, I'll go ahead and conclude the podcast. And again, thanks for watching and have a good one. Be safe.